Suicide rates in the United States are on the rise for the first time in decades, going up 25% from 1999 to 2016. The increase is seen across different regions of the country, among different age groups, genders, and ethnicities, and especially among youth and people who are middle-aged. So what is going on? We have Dr. Robert Gregory with us to help explain. He's the psychiatrist and the director of Upstate's Psychiatry High-Risk Program. Welcome, Dr. Gregory. Oh, thank you. So the, the rise in suicide rates, are we seeing this locally in central New York as well? Yes, we are. I, I'd have to say it's a crisis both locally and nationally. Um, not only rising suicide rates, uh, rising rates of mental disorders, people coming to the emergency rooms, really in distress, uh, on their last leg. Um, really, suicide is a last resort for people, and yet we're seeing it increase. So it's, it's very alarming, very concerning seeing massive rises in people coming for mental health issues to, um, to upstate, for sure. Uh, we've seen a five-fold increase in psychiatric consultations just in the last five years, and a, an amazing tenfold increase in children and adolescents coming in with suicidal um, thoughts or behaviors. Just in the last three years, a tenfold increase, just, just astounding statistics, uh, there's a shortage of child beds across the state, too, so those kids are staying an average of five days at University Hospital before they can find a psychiatric bed somewhere. Wow. Well, the obvious question is, what's going on? Why are so many people in such distress? And it, maybe it's a different answer for adult versus child, but... It might be, and there's a lot we don't understand about this, um, there are some. There's been a lot of research into suicide and what what some of the factors are, and and those can really be lumped into three big categories. One is overwhelming stressors, for instance, severe medical illness or socioeconomic stresses, uh, loss of a job, loss of an important loved one, uh, whether it's a spouse or a grandparent or family member. Those are probably the most common link. Uh, stressor. And then um, uh, mental disorders and substance use disorders. And of course, a stress can lead to mental disorders and substance use disorders. But we know that most people who attempt or complete suicide have had a mental disorder, very often undiagnosed. And then the third important factor we know is uh, connectedness, social connectedness with other people. Do they have a support network? of people who they're close to? Do they spend enough quality time with those people? And that's something I believe in the U.S. we are um, we're losing track of. Uh, many factors to that. Many times people have two jobs to keep ends, make ends meet, and um, there may not be enough time even during a week to, to socialize. And then social media, interestingly, seems to lead to diminished social connectedness rather than greater social connectedness. So it's a bit of a paradox, but social media is actually has the more time spent on social media has been found to correlate with increased rates of mental disorders and substance use disorders and increased risk for suicide. Wow, that is a paradox because you think social connectedness you know, who's who's not socially connected on social media. But you're right, a lot of times that's done in isolation. 
Yeah, so it's 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 remarkable. I, in fact, I, uh, a memory comes to mind of my daughter and her best friend in the back seat, and instead of talking with one another, they were texting to friends and one another, and um, and then they're they're always uh, as teens they look to social media for self definition and self esteem, and they're wondering if something they said was liked or disliked. And it becomes a form very often for bullying and uh, social ostracism instead of social connectedness. So when you, you mention you know, mental disorders or substance use, those things in and of themselves, does there have to be something else on top of that to push toward a suicide plan? Or? Yeah, the f- all three factors coming together okay. for certain. Um, there is an inherited risk for suicide as well and for mental disorders. And if the mental disorder or substance use disorder goes untreated, and which can in turn lead to increased isolation as people just lose interest in social contacts or start becoming very anxious around social contacts. Uh, so one of those factors can actually lead to other, the other factors, and it can become a vicious circle. Wow. Now, I read somewhere that suicide by firearms um, is prevalent, like more than half. Yes, firearms consistently has been uh, the most common form of suicide. Um, overdoses used to be second. I think uh, actually hanging or suffocation is now, sorry to go into these gruesome right. details, but uh, but still... Access to firearms is maybe the single most preventable um, thing that we can do as family or community. If you see, if there is someone at risk, just make sure they don't have access to firearms. Oh, that's a good point. Well, let me ask you, how is Central New York equipped to handle this crisis? Well, I think that's, you know, that's a great question. Um, there's a lot more that can be done, of course. Um, I think, well, one thing I want to say is there is effective treatment. Treatment can be hugely effective for suicide and suicide prevention. Uh, there is a difficult access to treatment, and because of the difficult access of getting into high-quality outpatient treatment, our emergency rooms have just been flooded with people. And often with nowhere to send them. Uh, And really, insurance rates, Medicaid and Medicare, and private insurance rates are all abysmally low for uh, psychotherapy reimbursement. And psychotherapy itself has become diluted diluted so that um, very often we call it counseling, and we know a lot of counseling is more like chatting and which is helpful for connectedness, but may not be helpful for uh, recovering from mental disorder. Now, uh, I know Upstate has an addiction psychiatry program. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you, of course, oversee the psychiatry high-risk program. What can you tell us about how that works? Yeah, well, Upstate has made huge efforts to try to address this mental health crisis. They've uh, hired new providers in our in our university clinics to try to um, try to increase access. Uh, it's still an overwhelming demand, and also setting up these specialty programs. So addiction psychiatry 
was established several years ago, but now we're increasing number of providers in that program. Uh, and then the high-risk program was set up about a year ago in response to a uh, the Youth Mental Health Task Force uh, run by Congressman Katko and Assemblyman Magnarelli. And one of the recommendations of that task force was to set up specialty clinics for suicide prevention um, that specialize in that. And so we set one up at Upstate and... Uh, We've been able, fortunately, to partner with some major in, insurers, including uh, Excellus, Fidelis, and Molina, to have reimbursement rates that make this program potentially sustainable. So we are actually at a point now where uh, we're hiring a second therapist. Uh, these are highly trained uh, therapists. We carefully monitor outcomes. Uh, we provide free psychological testing. And our outcomes so far have been extremely encouraging, so especially for patients who stick with it. Well, let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Robert Gregory. Um, he's a psychiatrist who directs Upstate's Psychiatry High-Risk Program, and I want to be sure to give the phone number for that for people to get more information about it, 315-464-3117. And we'll also have that on our website. Um, we've seen some high-profile suicides recently with Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, who from the outside, people might uh, think they have you know, everything going for them. So mm. does it seem to you like these are examples of you know, some problems that even you know, fame and fortune can't fix? Yeah, suicide uh, is blind to fame and fortune and... Um, and you know, I, I think these two deaths are tragic. Um, I, I think it's important not to overpay over attention to them because there is a risk for copycat suicide that's actually well-established um, media phenomenon. And, and frankly, there are 45,000 other people in the U.S. who die of suicide every year. 45,000 other. And so I, I don't want to glorify the two celebrities because these other people are really just as important. Sure. But, you know, at least these tragic deaths have brought this epidemic uh, into, into the national spotlight where it really needs to be so we can take more positive action towards preventing this very preventable problem. Well, let me ask you, what what can a person do if they know of a loved one or a friend who they, I mean, how do you tell if they're at risk for suicide? Yeah, that's a great question. So you have to, you, you have to, first of all, be able to ask the question and you, you monitor, there are things that you can look for. So we talked about social connectedness being a pr protective factor. And what you see leading up to suicide is... Uh, usually people will withdraw socially and they may start losing their ability to function either at school or work. You might have dropping grades. Um, you might have people who are going in late to work with either being fired or threatening to be fired. Um, there are going to be more strained relationships. And the person is usually more negative. 
So kind of the glass half empty kind of conversations when any issue is being raised, it's, you know, real pessimistic kind of outlook on things. And uh, so if there's a change like that from baseline, you know, this person's hurting and in trouble and may or may not be at risk for suicide at that point. But if you don't ask the question, you're not going to know. Now, that's it's easy to say, oh, just ask the person, you know, are you having suicide thoughts about suicide lately? Um, Very hard to actually do. it's because of partly because of social stigma. You don't want to maybe insult the person by asking a question. Other people are concerned. They'll put the idea into the person's head. What we know, though, from research is that it doesn't put the thoughts into someone's head. It actually is protective if someone asks about it. You're actually diminishing the risk of suicide by asking about it. And once you know that they are struggling um, you're in a much better position to help and intervene and have the person open up. Uh, so getting them connected um, and talking to someone, uh, trying to evaluate the seriousness, you know, how um, have you ever tried to do something to hurt yourself? How close have you come lately is, one of, I think, one of the best questions. And do you think you might actually carry out those thoughts. Um, So those are all questions you can ask. And certainly if you're concerned, um, really get that person help immediately. Well, if someone does say and confesses, yes, I have been thinking about suicide, you know, what then? What do you do to help them then? I mean, it would be frightening to even leave their side if yeah, no, absolutely, that, so. absolutely. And that's really what our emergency rooms and CPAP are for. If someone's at imminent risk, they need to be evaluated and may even need to be hospitalized, at least evaluated, though, and by professional who can determine risk. Um, and that way, and that way, um, you know, the person, at, at least you know the person's going to be safe. Um there are other resources. Sometimes it can be hard for someone to go into an emergency room or CPEP. And there are hotlines that people can call, like contact. And I think that's a great number for a family member to call. Contact community services? Exactly. Because that's a locally... Exactly. Contact community services. There's also a national suicide prevention lifeline uh, you can Google both of those, and so the numbers are really super easy to find. And the advantage of contact is that they know the local resources and can help both ev- evaluate suicide risk as well as um, suggest uh, outpatient clinics or therapists who might have openings that the person can see. What's the outlook for someone who's contemplating suicide? Do, do people come back from that brink? Do you see that happen? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The vast majority of people who contemplate suicide do not end up completing it. Uh, In fact, um, we know 9% of high school students contemplate suicide in a given year. So this is a pretty common phenomenon. Um, However, if it's not addressed, the risk of completing suicide goes greatly up. So you really want to catch it at an early phase before it 
escalates and people become more depressed, more isolated. And as they become more depressed and isolated, they start losing friends. They start having more problems in the, at school or the workplace. And so you want to catch that before it turns into that vicious circle of escalating problems. Wow. Well, thank you. This is very good information on a very important topic. I appreciate you being here. My, my pleasure. My guest has been psychiatrist Dr. Robert Gregory, director of the Upstate Psychiatry High Risk Program. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.